0: Hiya. Um, Just if anyone's not got a Bible, if you want to raise a hand and one of our lovely studios will bring one round to you. Um, So I'll be reading from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, verses 12 to 23. And if you have a church Bible, that's on page 310. Cool. Just one more reminder, that is 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, verses 12 to 23. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has, because of the ark of God. So David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing, When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And the daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death.
1: Thanks so much, Abby. Um, do you keep that Bible passage open or um, up on your phone. My name is Josh, and um, I'm one of the Uh, the leaders here as well, and um, I'm going to talk us through some stuff in that um, passage. Um, If you would like to uh, follow along in uh, a a written Farsi uh, translation, there is a paper one um, over on the table where the Bibles are. One of the stewards can show you that if you want to ask them. There's a a written English copy available, but just not on paper, um, but you can find it online so you could look at it now or you could look at it at a later point. Our website is ChristChurchLiverpool.org, but if you were to put that in and then go forward slash transcript, um, there's... uh, you can download and find what I'm going to say um, written out just in English there. There's a bit of chocolate on here. (laughs) Um, Great. As we uh, begin, as we come to that, then um, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help to turn our eyes more towards him and his son, Jesus. We pray. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we Read your word now as we come to spend some time in it, uh, pondering it, learning from it. We really hope, we pray, we trust and we expect that uh, your dear spirit would open our eyes to see Jesus Christ afresh. And not only that, that he would move our hearts, stirers and warmers to have great and deep joy in him. We pray in Jesus name. Amen so um, you all know about the uh, the pudding box right where in the human body um, in the place where your stomach is you've got two boxes you've got a box for your main course and a box for your pudding and that's why when you've had a nice meal and you say, oh, I've, that was really nice, that was, I? but I, I'm full. I couldn't eat another morsel. And your host comes out and says, oh, well, that's a shame, because I've got some gatto or cheesecake or ice cream. All of a sudden, you say, oh, actually, actually, I think I probably could manage it. Um, we, 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 are, we are facing an uphill struggle in our house to tell our children that this isn't true, um, <laughs> In our house, it's probably the, the same conversation that parents have had through the ages, where on the children's plates, the, the sausage gets eaten and the pasta gets eaten, but then they push the plates away say, with, with the, the broccoli and the carrots on, saying, Dad, I'm full. I'm full. And I say, well, no, no, come on, eat your broccoli, it's good for you. And they say, no, Dad, I'm, I'm full. And I say, okay, fair enough. I don't want you to eat more than you can manage, so there'll be no pudding. Whoa, 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 whoa! No, 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 no! I'm full, but there's room for pudding. And then we say exactly what parents have said since the dawn of time. If you've got room for pudding, you've got room for broccoli. (laughs) Pudding and main course are one of those things that uh, gives the contrast to the things we we can eat and sort of like, uh, and we know we should eat it. But really what, what makes it all worthwhile is the things we enjoy. And it's not just food. There are things in life we did with the, the children. You brush your teeth, you gotta work. Those are good things. Nobody really says there are horrible things to do. Our lives aren't rubbish because of brushing teeth and going to work, but they're not really what we enjoy. They, that, that's what we do and we have to do them. But there are some things in life that we just enjoy. There's always room for those lovely things. And I suspect that uh, whoever you are, You might be putting knowing God in the first category. It's good, it's right, uh, and we should, and it's good for us, but not one of those things that we do for fun. Not one of those things that really gives us our top enjoyment. Maybe you're here um, and it's your first time in a church, or maybe you're just looking into Christianity for the first time, uh, but maybe, and I'm, I'm guessing here, I'm just guessing that maybe you didn't come along to our church this morning because you've heard the word on the street is that uh, coming to church on a Sunday morning is the most fun and enthralling thing you could possibly think of. But it's not just you. Um, those of us who've been coming a long time, those of us who are Christians for a long time, well, we love Jesus. He is our hope. He's our security, but by the looks on our faces when we pray and sing and read the Bible, it's fair to say that church uh, isn't exactly Alton Towers. But maybe, maybe that's something that we've become experts at just missing, overlooking that fact that the Bible actually says that knowing Jesus, being in the presence of God, is actually, is actually the most enthralling and, yes, ecstatic experience known to man. Now, we're all quite slow on the uptake of this. So God, throughout the Bible, has given us little pictures and patterns to show us, to piece together brick by brick what he's got in store. And it's one of those that we're looking at this morning, this, slightly, this unusual and slightly strange snippet from the life of King David that was read for us. That's here as, as a little pattern to show us. Um, the, the pattern that we're meant to get used to look at so that we get used to the idea that God has in store for us joy and celebration in Jesus ultimately. If you've been here in previous weeks, it's what I've referred to in the past as a balance spike uh, like a pattern that you encounter first, something that you get used to and learn, but it's only a foretaste and a shadow of what is to come. Something that we understand what's going on in David's life so that the reality of Jesus becomes much clearer. And so we're going to focus a little bit on David today and see how he points us to the truth in Jesus that knowing God is our deepest joy. We're going to see in David, actually, uh, we're going to see someone for whom wealth and reputation and power, all the things that come with being a king, as far as he's concerned, they're just the potatoes and cabbages of life. But for David, dancing, In God's presence is the cherry on the icing on the most enthralling cake you can imagine. So this passage that you've got hopefully in front of you in 2 Samuel chapter 6, this is in the first place an invitation to know that joy is yours. Joy is yours. Now this might be an unfamiliar passage. So let me uh, highlight some of the key parts of what's going on in this. Um, You need to know what the ark of God is. Did you see that that was there in the passage that Abby read, the Ark of God? Well, the Ark of God is a box, but it's a box which has always represented to God's people, God's presence with them. God designed the box. He gave very specific instructions about what it should look like. But importantly, he gave instructions as to how he should handle it, how he should approach it, who can touch it, who can carry it. It was the single most sacred object for Israel. And that's because it represented God. And so just like you can't just waltz up to God however you feel, you can't waltz up to the ark just however you feel. Just like you can't treat God irreverently, well, you can't treat this box, the ark, irreverently. It symbolized the very presence of God. It was special. It was sacred. Now, for the last 50 years or so before this passage... The ark had actually spent time uh, just been left alone and ignored by God's people in obscurity. But the background to this section here that we uh, have been uh, that was read is that David, he's just become king, and rightly, he wants to make God's presence have a central role in the national in national life. So he wants to bring the ark of God into the city, to the capital city. David knew, and he wanted all the other people to know that where God's presence is, is joy and blessing. Having God's presence in the middle of the people, that's what makes life worthwhile. So he arranges a procession to bring the ark of God into the capital city. It's referred to the capital city in your Bibles as the city of David. He arranges a procession to bring the ark into the city of David because he wants God's people, uh, God's presence in amongst the people in the city of David. Now, just before this, they got it very wrong. They didn't treat the ark right. It was tragic and somebody died. So for a while, they abandoned the project and they just left the ark in the house of a guy called Obed-Edom. And that's where verse 12 picks up the story. We learn that Obed-Edom and his family have had God's presence living with them and they've been blessed and they've had great joy. And that reminds David... That he wants God's presence and joy in the middle of the people. And so he decides to make another procession to bring the ark into the city of David. And this time he's going to get it right. They're going to handle it properly. That's what's going on in this passage. But I want you to notice just how joyful this is. Um, We are not unfamiliar with processions of joy. I don't know if you ever um, made it to... Uh, the the Liverpool FC victory parade last year or the year before Um don't know if you were one of those people standing on the streets now the the, the protocol the idea that when you go there was just simply you go there and you have joy that was all that was required wasn't it uh, the idea was you turn up and you know you don't have to work for anything you don't have to do the rules or anything like that you just turn up turn up Wave your flags, and if you feel like dancing, you dance. And if you feel like singing, you sing. I don't know if anyone was there. Did did anyone sing? I think they probably did. Um, But it's interesting. You don't even get to meet the footballers. Nobody actually got to meet Mo Salah or Jordan Henderson or Jurgen Klopp. You're just in their presence. Just in the presence of them, seeing them face to face. And that caused the city to stop. Fireworks, flares, flags, dancing, music. Um, You might have tuned in last year to the the England women's football team when they won the European Championships. They had a similar kind of thing. The streets of London thronged with celebration. And it was just because they wanted to be in the presence of these women. And they had with them a metal object. (laughs) Well, it was a metal object. And yet that symbolised the presence of the champions. Symbolize you are in the very presence of these people that for a little while people have been adoring. Now, can you believe? Could you imagine that happening with God? Can you believe that that is happening in this this passage? But it's with God. Verse 12. So David went to bring up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 14. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. David has set up this procession and he is leading the way, setting the example for the benefit of the people because he wants to show the people he rules something that we don't get to hear very often. And that is, if God is for you, If God is with you, then joy is yours. I don't suppose that many people in David's day would have got this if it weren't for the procession. Don't go thinking that, you know, they would have enjoyed that, but we are quite different. I'm not sure that they actually would have enjoyed this unless it was set up like this. They might not have realized it. So it needed David to lead the way so that he could teach his people where the real joy lies. And just how captivating God's presence with them really is. David, he took off his robes and his crown just so that he would be like all the other people. So that they could be like him in enjoying the presence of God. David set up and arranged the whole day. But in fact, it was God behind it all because he had David set up that day. To lead his people in knowing the joy of his presence, to set up a pattern, to prepare them for when he'd send his son, God's presence coming into the city of David. You know, in just 35 sleeps, we are going to be remembering how heaven couldn't contain the joy as a choir of angels burst the sky to announce the news uh, that it's great, good news of great... Joy for all people because today in the city of David, God has come. A savior is born, he is Christ the Lord. See, God has never intended to stoop down to be among his people so that life gets more dull and more serious and more boring. God has never been present with his people to exude a kind of good rule keeping behavior. His presence in David's day caused a party. And when Christ the Lord came to the city of David, we still remember 2,000 years later, half the world stops in December to eat mince pies and wear Christmas jumpers and sing songs and exchange presents and decorate trees because God's presence came into the city of David and we're still celebrating that. If David's procession, This wonderful celebration in this strange passage, if that teaches us anything, it's that we should really be aligning ourselves with David and with the angels who can't contain their joy. Because they know that God is not the kind of the bread and butter, knowing God's not the important but, you know, mundane bit of life, but that God is a happy God. He is a joyful God and he's spreading his joy to those who want to come into his presence if God is yours, then joy is yours. But there's another angle in this passage um, about joy that sheds light on Jesus from another angle. And that's this, that joy is your glory. Um, I was at a Christian conference. When I was a student, I was at a Christian conference or a convention. It was basically like uh, like going to church, but bigger. And so there may be a thousand of us. And um in this in this event, we had singing just like here, and the band were on stage and they were playing. And uh, as people got enthused um, by God and the in the music and the stuff that had been taught to us, the band were playing and, and we were were processing it, were meditating it. And the band said, "We're going to start playing music a bit quietly now. We're not going to sing. We're just going to play music in the background, and you guys can just, in the quietness where you're standing, just meditate on God. Just." Pray to him, do business with God. And so we stood there and uh, it was kind of quiet. The band were playing quietly, but we just stood there and focusing on what we'd learned. And some guy stood up with the Bible and he started reading. He was just among us. He started reading from the Bible in front of everybody. And it wasn't just that he read a verse that the Lord had laid on his heart. He read two verses. And then he read four verses, and he read a paragraph, and then he read two paragraphs. He didn't have a microphone. And it was one of those awkward times where what he was doing was kind of right. It was the Bible. That's a good thing. He was reading the Bible in front of people. That's, that's fine. The Lord had laid it on his heart, and so he just felt like he had to be telling people that. But on the, on the other hand, it was a bit distracting <laughs> because I'd lost my train of thought. Uh, and not everyone could hear him. It was a large room of a thousand people and, and not everyone knew exactly what was going on. And the band wanted to start playing, but they didn't want to interrupt him. And so it was a bit of an awkward moment. And we get moments like that sometimes in life where uh, it's, it's not, you're not sure whether to be embarrassed or whether to embrace it. You're not sure whether this is right or whether it's wrong. Something unusual, unexpected. Somebody's spoken at a moment you didn't expect. Do they need rebuking or or should they embrace it? And I take it that the author of this part of the Bible expects us to be in a a similar position when we read this story of David. I mean, this is David the king. But in verse 14, he's wearing a linen ephod. That's not a kingly garment. That's just a plain looking thin robe, a thin tunic that you'd wear under your clothes. I don't think it's skimpy or rude. I just think it's maybe the kind of thing you might kind of go to bed in. (laughs) He's among the people looking like that. I mean, in Britain, we know exactly what to expect from our royal family, don't we? You see the royal family at an occasion and they are dressed up, robes or uniform. And we know how they behave. The royal family are the ones who set the example of dignity and grace. They don't show their emotions too much. They stand there and they wave politely and they applaud at the right time. How embarrassed do you feel at this line? David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. King Charles was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Have you ever seen someone dance with all their might? Have you ever been at a wedding or a disco or a club, seen someone dancing with all their might. Some of you may have seen Morris <laughs> dancing with all his might. <laughs> Not a pretty sight. Um, <laughs> so in this passage, David's unstately behavior makes us wonder whether this is what, this is the right thing to be going on. And so he's challenged one of his wives in verse 20, Michal. She challenges him on this, and she says, I can hear the sarcasm, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as, as any vulgar fellow would. Is she right? Well, David's answer says a lot, and we should listen to it because this gives us a really important perspective on, on what it is to, to enjoy God. And maybe shakes us out of our kind of British stiff upper lipness. At first, he says that wasn't actually a dance for the ladies. God was my audience. He wants his wife to know, in his mind, he's not the king. Making a fool of himself in front of his subjects, David has taken off the crown and the robe. He is a subject adoring his king. In this passage, David's not a king disgracing himself before his subjects. He's a subject adoring his king. That's right. Secondly, he says, actually, he's prepared to become even more undignified and be humiliated in his own eyes. In other words, he doesn't care what other people are thinking of him because before God, he's not humiliated. Other people's opinion And your own reputation, they're not factors to take into consideration when you're lowering yourself before God. Other people's opinion and your own reputation are not factors to take into consideration when you're lowering yourself before God. And thirdly, he says that in fact, he will be honoured in the sight of those who saw him. They're not going to consider him a disgrace because he knows that we are actually at our best. We are actually at our most dignified when we are lost in humble worship before God. You could be a CEO or a king or a doctor or a teacher or an investment banker or a city councillor, But before God, you're one of his people. So robes of honour are nothing. Your reputation is nothing. Who you've made yourself is nothing. But you belong to God and that's everything. You belong to God and that is everything. Now, David was told off by his wife, but he's just a shadow of Jesus. Jesus, whose joy in God was so full and deep that it led him into acts of worship Which led him to lose all his dignity as he humbled himself. Jesus' act of worship wasn't singing and dancing in the street. It was obedience at every turn. Joyful obedience to the God in whom he delighted. And Jesus' joy in obedience was worship. And that worshipful obedience took him to the cross. Where soldiers stripped him and paraded him publicly. And hung him exposed on a cross for all to see. But, you know, the Bible says this about Jesus, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. It was in joyful obedience to God that he took on the shame and didn't see it as shame. He scorned the shame to do what was right before God. Just like David, the watching world confused worship and joy with indignity and disgrace. David wasn't actually undignified, neither was Jesus. In Jesus' most undignified moment, hanging exposed on the cross, we see him at his most glorious, even though the world couldn't see it. And in in David's undignified joy, we see Jesus' humiliation on the cross. But it redefines humiliation, redefines dignity, joy, in worshipping God, that's, that's dignity. Humility before God is utmost dignity. Worshipful obedience is true human dignity. That's going to come up for you and I today. If you follow Jesus and want to enter into joy, enter into worship in every area of your life, well, we're likely to follow Jesus, uh, to follow David and to follow Jesus and be considered an embarrassment to others? What would your colleagues think if they saw you here with your eyes closed and your hands raised in worship? What do people think if you're standing singing and and you just kneel on the floor when no one else is? Or even worse, dancing. We have had in our church qualified and respected Leaders of men, doctors who dressed up like detectives and crazy scientists to do a kid's slot. We've had um, a respected chartered engineer come to our internationals group to play Hunt for the Easter Chick. We've had people who are high up in the world's eyes come to tears in our singing. And your neighbours will think that you're stupid because you can't think of anything more fun to do on a Sunday evening than to go into a cold church and sing 200-year-old carols in a choir. They're going to be puzzled at why you give some of your salary to fund somebody who's in an English language school in North Africa. It's just an embarrassment. But these are pictures of joy and honour and glory. And you know you are at your most glorious, at your most honoured, at your most dignified when you are... Engage in joyful worship, scorning the world's shame because of the joy of knowing God. And this does make sense because thirdly, joy is your destiny. Joy is your destiny. Um, At the moment at home, we are watching a Netflix series. It's a drama um, and it's got some features like a lot of dramas that you might be familiar with. It's one of those dramas where you've got your main storyline, your characters are doing this and that and the other, but then it keeps interspersing that with a flashback. Something that happened uh, 24 hours ago, or something that happened uh, 10 years ago, or 15 years ago. You even get these uh, uh, films, we watched a film just last week as well, where it starts with a scene and you don't know what's happening. And then it says, ah, flashback, 24 hours earlier. then they walk you through and build you up to where it's gone well that is all there to show that what you're seeing is actually more significant than you realize when you see it in its bigger picture and there's a bigger picture going on here in this passage this passage is a story of joy in God's presence but you know what the bible from start to finish is a story about joy in God's presence Our generation, whether you're 16 or 60, you'll have heard the narrative, the teaching that uh, life is all about being happy. Let me say that there's a big picture to that. That's not come from nowhere. There's a deep truth in that, that David's exuberant dancing flags up to us. You see, David is lost in delight because he's part of a big story of humans built for joy. David is lost in delight because he's a human like you and I, and we are created to be happy and joyful. When God made, at the very beginning, he made his marvellous creation, complete with chameleons that can sit on a fingernail and trenches under the sea that are taller than Mount Everest, an amazing world that there is no end to exploring. And God's delighted in it he said that is good and he gave it to human beings to enjoy but the happiest place of all was in a garden with the creator the bible's big story starts with humans being happy but ever since mankind was expelled from that garden for trying to be like god we've always had a hole where happiness and joy is meant to be and we've always looked everywhere but god to fill it We are created for joy. Life is about being happy. But David, David points us to the truth of where we should find that happiness. Um, Sticking with David, but he wrote in a different part of the Bible. He wrote a song about his joy in God, about really what he was doing on that road up to the city in his dancing. He wrote a song and here's a line from the song. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's. That's where the fullness of joy is. That's what we were created to be, joyful in God's presence. Now, we are so used to imagining that enjoyment, the thing that makes life worthwhile, is found somewhere other than God, that this passage seems strange to us. David dancing with all his might. But the big picture, in the big picture of what we're created for, it's not actually surprising that a human being created to enjoy God's presence finds himself Dancing exuberantly in God's presence. It's not actually surprising in the big picture when somebody who knows God's beauty, God's kindness, his mercy, his unequalled generosity and wisdom. It's not weird that someone should come into the presence of a God like that and find himself uncontrollably delighted. David's being normal because we are created to be happy. And here he finds himself in the happy place. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. But when David the king stepped down in humility to celebrate God coming into his city, that was a dress rehearsal for an even happier time when Jesus the king sat humbly on a donkey. And he was celebrated because he was God coming into the city. And that is the place of even deeper and fuller joy. David points us to Jesus. Good news, though, not that you had to be there on that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Jesus entered Jerusalem to fanfare and joy because he was coming to the city to die and rise again. So that not just those people there in his presence could know the fullness of joy, but so that everybody, you and I, can know the fullness of joy. We can one day experience that ecstatic truth of finding fullness of joy in his presence in heaven. The noise of the trumpets and the shouts in David's day. The trumpets and the shouts in Jesus' day. They are just like a a tiny whisper of the noise that we are all destined for. Where Jesus' procession will lead us one day to the city, the city of the living God. Where we will join with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Another part of the Bible says it's going to be noisy. We're going to sing songs above a string section that sounds like the roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be exuberant. It's what we're created for. Joy is our destiny. Well, David He did all this. He set up the day and he danced before God with all his might so that his people could learn that what is really mundane is the crown and the robes and power and wealth. That's mundane. What is truly delightful and sweet and what makes everything worth living for is God. So today, take home with you this, that this truth is deeper and fuller. And brighter in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you hope in him, then joy is your destiny. Because worshipping Jesus is your destiny. You're created for joy. You'll find joy in his presence. Let me say, don't let it discourage you if time spent in the Bible at home or in your connect group is hardly ecstatic, though. But I want you to get used to expecting joyful hope encouragement and delight in what you find there and those moments you know those moments where you through prayer or singing or fellowship with another christian or finding something new about jesus in the bible those moments where your heart does do a little leap for joy when your soul is suddenly lifted well let that be to you a tiny echo of the happiness that you are headed towards in jesus god's presence and fullness of joy I'm so glad that David went bananas like he did to shock us out of the lie that God is just bread and butter religion. When in truth, knowing Jesus is the finest, sweetest joy of all. There's always room for more of that.